Um, yeah, so basically what we're going to do here is just kind of chat with you about you as a person, you as an athlete, um, and kind of your unique perspective and take on running. Obviously, uh, you have a good master's perspective. You're a mother. You're a, you know, you got yeah. a lot going on. <laughs> and just And I think that resonates a lot because we have a lot of master's runners and parents and people who kind of share that space. Um, but you just happen to kick ass at it. So <laughs> I think <laughs> sometimes I think not always. <laughs> well, I, that, that's, and, that, and that's also, yeah. that's also valuable, right? Because it's not yeah. always, not always easy. And there are, there are challenges we have to work through. And so your perspective is definitely valuable and important. Does that make sense? Great. Yeah, totally. Let's just kick it off and, and, and we'll go with the flow. Um, so good. yeah, I'm just going to start and then we'll okay. introduce you. And you can introduce yourself, say a few words, and we'll roll from there, okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. Because Mel told me my introductions sucked, so I got to get better at those. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, so much. Not so much, but yeah, yeah, basically. Um, all righty. So today <laughs> on the Mile to Marathon Coaches Chat, we are coaching with Coach Catherine Watkins, uh, joining us from up on the somewhere, somewhere west of me over here in Vancouver. Um, Catherine, thanks so yeah, much for taking the time. Yeah, closer to UBC. <laughs> yes, closer to UBC. No worries. Um, I don't know exactly where you live, but I I run by you and your husband quite often when I'm when I'm running. I ran I ran by I ran by your husband. I was trying to get a segment ripping up Second Ave, and he was just kind of standing there. I was like, "Oh, hey, how are you doing?" But I was <laughs> middle sprinting up a hill. So, but anyways, That's anyways, hilarious. how are you doing today? Um, yeah, little gave us a little bit of introduction. Where you're from? Uh, how you got into the sport? Just let's just start rolling. All right. So I guess first we'll start with I'm a master's runner. So I'm 48, turning 49 this year. Um, how did I get into the sports? I started when I was a kid. I used to run. Um, I was born in England, lived there till I was eight. And we moved over to Canada when I was eight years old. And uh, it was sort of the first time I got introduced to running. I had was in an elementary school where they really encouraged like sports days and they used to have this like Canadian um, physical education program where you'd strive for excellence. And that's sort of where I found my love for running. You had to run a mile <laughs> sort of as fast as you can. And generally I would head out there and, and beat the boys at like, you know, 10 and 11 nice. years old. And that was really the start of the love of it for me. Um, and I guess I stuck with it for until I was about 15. So I kind of found a joy on the track. I was running the 1500, doing some relays, um, a lot of fun stuff. I wasn't like front of the pack person, but I was running uh, decent things. Like I broke five minutes in the um, 15, which was big That's back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then around the age of 15, I started to not love it anymore. I think um, I'd been doing a lot of it. I was running with a club and running with my school. So sometimes I was running, you know, like six, seven times a week as a 13, 14 year old. And it kind of yeah. took the joy out of it for me. Um, I lost that drive to want to go out and do it. I didn't want to run a track meet every other weekend anymore. Um, I kind of wanted to go out with my friends have sleepovers, have a social life. And so I left it behind. I, I just sort of said goodbye. Um, yep. And then I picked it back up 
Um, I kind of kept, it was kind of in my life throughout, like I ran occasionally here and there um, for fitness. Um, but I stuck with playing soccer, uh, doing some gymnastics, doing other sports that kind of gave me more of a social feel than the running was giving me back in the day. Um, and it wasn't until, I guess, um, just before I had kids, I started to get back into it again. Um, and just on a recreational level, like enjoying getting out for long runs, um, tackled my first half marathon, tackled a marathon, um, using like a running room run walk program <laughs> and, uh, nice. kind of discovered this love for it, then had kids. And then it became this, um, I don't know, about two years after I had my kids, I, I was running recreationally and one day just thought like, I wonder what I can do with this. Like, I really enjoy it. I want to try and run like close to a 40 minute 10 K let's see what happens. And that was kind of the start of my competitive masters. Well, I guess it wasn't a master's then, but my competitive career um, as a runner in a nutshell. Yeah, the resurgence <laughs> of Catherine Watkins. Yeah. So where, so yeah, we're, in England, we're in England, did, <laughs> where in England you had fresh legs. <laughs> Where, where in England were you raised yeah. <laughs> or until you were eight? Um, so just, yeah. So I lived in a little town called Thornbury, which had like 6,000 people in it, um, okay. which was outside of Bristol. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it was a great place to grow up. Like I have fond memories of it. Um, I just remember being outside a lot as a kid. Uh, it was kind of that free for all where, you know, it was all kids in the community and everyone was just out playing and riding their bikes and um, going to the park and not a lot of parental supervision. So it was fun. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I, I, I feel like childhood has changed drastically. Even, even when I was a kid, it was like, my parents were like, just get out of the house and we'll see you just be home by midnight type thing. <laughs> so they had the bunch yeah. of kids they didn't want and us it's... around anyways. Um, <laughs> did you have a, did you have a, did you support a football club? Did your family have a, I always, whenever I talk to anyone from Great Britain, I'm always like, which, what, what football club? Do you yeah. Support? We so I love I love back, English soccer. Pardon? Back in the day, Liverpool, Liverpool. Brutal. All right, next yeah, question. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when you came over to Canada, where did you where did you settle first? Um, so first we moved into Mississauga, where we lived for a year. That's where my dad was working. Um, and then my parents decided they didn't want to stay there. It was a bit big from what they were used to. So we moved to Oakville, which at that point was yep. a pretty small suburb. Um, now it's a lot bigger, but at the time, yeah, we just sort of moved into a little bungalow there and settled down and yeah, spent the next 20 years of my life there basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you went yeah. through high school and everything. So you were in, you were in the Offsa, Ontario. System. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I and did, I, and I, I feel like your story is is kind of like what they talk about with with children even today. It's like it's like early specialization can be troublesome in that you know, especially when you start hitting those those teenage years and you have these social uh, desires and just other interests in your life. If you have this specialization, it like it can get really stagnant really fast, and it can become more of a chore. And then you find kids falling out of love in the sport when it's not as organic. Right. Um, and that happens to so many kids. It happened to me. And like, I was the same thing. Like uh, I had to I organically refine my love. I had to organically refine my love for running. Um, so obviously, you know, you went out and you were other sports, other activities. And then when did you move to Vancouver? 
so we came to Vancouver in, we bought a house here in 2000. So, um, and then we moved out in 2001. So we did some renos and then we lived in a condo downtown and then moved into our house. So we got in before the market was crazy. So that's how we were able to afford a house here. I don't think we could do that now. Um, yeah, so I actually <laughs> lived in Calgary for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lived in Calgary for five years before coming here. That's where my husband's from. So um, okay. he was living in Calgary. I was living in Toronto, kind of did this long distance thing for a while. And um, I decided I had an opportunity to either renew my contract at my job or kind of take a risk and move out with him in Calgary. And I took that risk, um, moved out there. Nice. So we were there for five years and I was like, let's keep nice. going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to go to some warmer, <laughs> some warmer weather. Um, so with, with your running and with your research, when you, when you fell back into the sport, um, what, you know, you said you, you worked with the, you did the running room thing. Uh, so when you ran with your, with your goals of running that fast 10 K, how long did the progression take you to realize like, Hey, I'm actually still quite good at this sport. Um, you know, so obviously you fell in love with the training and then you ended up being quite quick. So what was that timeline? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I start when we moved to Calgary, um, I started to put uh, kind of a little more into my running and I thought I'll tackle a marathon, which was, you know, why not? <laughs> I knew I was going to have kids in a few years. So I thought <laughs> I'd get one, get one done. Um, <laughs> and so picked up like a running room book and just thought, you know what, I'm just going to follow kind of the basic plan, see, see where it takes me. So I think I was probably running like 50 or 60 K a week, maybe um, at the peak of that program. And mm -hmm. I was run walking and I was doing it with Trevor, my husband. So we decided we'd embark on this uh, together as kind of a couple goal. We weren't doing it with the running room group, but we were doing it on our own, just following this program. And I guess as we were doing it, I started to realize like, this is coming pretty easily. Like the times I'm hitting, it feel pretty comfortable. Um, so I guess that's when I started to realize like I hadn't lost a ton of it. Like it's in there somewhere. Um, I just don't know mm -hmm. how to like access that speed again. Uh, and so then we set our sights on Victoria Marathon and we went out there to run it. And uh, so we started together, Trevor and I, and we walk ran till halfway. And at halfway, I'm like, oh man, this is like so tedious. I can't do this walk running anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> and uh, I kind of just left him and, and ran. Um, and he always tells the story that like, so I finished the marathon. I ran 329, I think, um, in my first one. And I'd qualified for Boston, which I had no idea what that meant. I wasn't in the marathon scene. I didn't understand, like, how yeah. good that was at the time. Um, and I think about 20 minutes later, Trevor came across the line. And he, he's like, you just left me out there. And, uh, and then I guess right in front of him, this couple had crossed the line, this uh, 60 year old couple who were holding hands and like <laughs> celebrating their first marathon together <laughs> victory. And here I was, you know, 20 minutes ahead of them. So that was, I guess, my first realization that I still had that competitive spirit and kind of wanted to, to go with it, I guess. 
<laughs> and I mean, fair enough. That's absolutely, that would be tedious. Like, marathon's freaking oh. far. If you feel good, just get the damn thing over with. Yeah, and I felt so good at the end of that marathon. Like, I've never felt like that at the end of a marathon again because I think now I, I always push myself. But in that one, I just felt, I think, the run walk for the first half. And then it was basically like running a half marathon after. Um, and at a pretty yeah. um, comfortable pace for me at the time. So, yeah, I felt great. So, yeah, so, qualified for Boston. And I, I imagine you had a rather large negative split in that race. Yeah, I don't remember what it was exactly, but yeah, I think it was pretty significant. I think the only marathon I've ever run with a negative split, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, lo I love it how it's, it's like you were so like not so much into the game. You're like, I don't know. I, I just went out and ran. Did you, did you end up running Boston? I did. So um, I decided like, hey, this sounds like it's a pretty big deal. I'll, I'll go down and run Boston. And there was another woman in Calgary who'd also qualified. So we kind of did some training together and um, yeah, I got to live that Boston experience of getting on the bus with everyone at, you know, seven in the morning yep. and then sitting in the field in the, in the dirt. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, but um, I love it. It I was amazing. It. Yeah. Good. I've, and since then my goal has been to get back to Boston and to do it as an elite um, to see the other side of it yep. because that experience was phenomenal. There's nothing like, Boston racing or running Boston I was running it I wasn't racing it at the time but um to get back and do that kind of on a competitive level um mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of my ultimate goal that's that's the bucket list that's the bucket list and I was I was gonna do it this year um but that's probably not gonna happen <laughs> we would have had an army yeah. this year it was gonna be so much fun I know but anyway yeah so how did you, how, did your train, did you, did you alter your training between the first, um, before, between Victoria and Boston or did you stick with the running room plan? Um, I stuck with the running room plan, but took out the walking. So, um, okay. did it more as a consistent run and, um, found I had more people. I sort of started running with a group of people in Calgary. And so kind of just did a lot of what they were doing training wise. Um, mm -hmm. so I think I was running, longer runs than I'd ever run before. Um, but I wouldn't say I'd put in much more, uh, speed work. Like I wasn't doing like now when I marathon train, it's so much targeted to marathon pace. Um, but I don't feel like yeah. I did a lot of yeah. that there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, it was that, a fun, like it was fun way to build. Absolutely. It right. It's just, way. Yeah. It's just every, every, your training, your, your, your goals are going to kind of dictate how the training goes. Right. And yeah. if you're, for an experience and, and completion which is a great goal then that's what you train towards right but now you're a high performing athlete and so you got to train to be a high performing athlete right um so at what point did you make the kind of the mental switch of like i am going to take this seriously and this is no longer going to be like a hobby well it's still going to be a hobby but it's going to be a serious hobby at what point did that flip switch um i'm going to say after i had my kids so I had my first daughter in 2003 and then my second one in 2005. Um, and about two years after that, uh, I don't know if it's that having children um, and realizing I didn't have something that was my own outside of that. Like I was staying mm -hmm. home with my kids. I was, that was my choice. That's what I wanted to do. Um, 
but I just missed having like something I could grasp onto myself that gave me um, satisfaction outside of the home. And so I ran a 10 K I think, and I'd run like 45 minutes and I thought, you know what? I want to break 40. Like, what do I need to do to get there? So uh, I met someone who was running with VFAC at the time and they're like, Oh, you should come out and try a couple of workouts and just, you know, see how it goes. And uh, I did and made huge gains very quickly. Like it was, you know, something went off in my body that just was like, Oh yeah, you know how to do this. Um, (laughs) And yeah. And sort of, that was it. That was the switch. And once I started to improve, there was no turning back. Like I just wanted to get better and better. And it wasn't a competitive with other people. It was a definite competitive with myself. Like, um, let's see where I can take this. I never thought I'd take it to where I have taken it. I don't think that was ever in my, um, in my thoughts when I started running competitively, it was like purely let's try and break 40. Then I was like, let's try and break 38. Let's try and break 36. Let's try and break 35. Let's try and break 34. And yeah, I trained with them for, um, a couple of years. It was a great group when I was there. Um, a lot of great women to run with like Anne-Marie Madden, who's uh, a stellar uh, ultra runner. Um, she was there. Uh, I had a bunch of guys to run with. Um, Kim Dirksen wasn't in there yet, but she was, she sort of came in just as I was leaving. Um, but I got to run with her for a little bit in there. So I just, it was a really great crew and I got that social that I was craving as well as the competitive yeah. spirit. Um, the only thing I found was, because I hadn't trained at that level before, I had a tendency to go out and run every workout like it was a race. So <laughs> I, I found myself getting sick a lot and getting injured a fair amount because I was just, I wasn't balancing it well. I wasn't recovering from my training. Um, so that was my only downside with it. But yeah, I made huge gains. I think I got down to 36 minutes maybe uh, in the 10K with VFAC. So that was huge. Um, and then I had a concussion. So in 2012, I had a big concussion that took me out for six months. Yeah. Uh, and so I was out for six months and I kind of couldn't run, couldn't do anything, um, too intense, just walking. Uh, and I decided after that, that when I came back, I didn't want to go back into a competitive group right away. I kind of wanted to take it slowly and do my own thing. And so I bought Brad Hudson's run faster, um, book. And I followed that for a while and dropped my times again. And I actually found his training worked quite well for me. Um, and I guess I think I ran about 35 something in the sun run, uh, that year off that training. And I got, uh, nominated to run, um, for team Canada, at the Boulder Boulder, uh, that year, which, um, Rich Lee was the coach for that team. And I guess that's kind of when I first started talking to Rich about training with him, um, was on that trip. And, uh, since then he's basically been my coach. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So I, I, I really, I really like your progress of like, you know, you're learning as you're going. Right. And, and, and just becoming a, a successful runner there's a little bit of trial and error in there right and it, it's like finding yes. what works for you and like realizing that having that more structure was great and it, it took you to a certain level but then when you get to that certain level 
you're doing all your workouts maybe a little too hard. So, you know, you got to, and then you got to continue to adapt and adjust. And then you know, obviously you go to Boulder, Boulder. Uh, I've run the Boulder, Boulder too. I mean, I went to school at altitude. <laughs> how is that? Yeah. How that experience running altitude for the first time at Boulder, Boulder? I'm imagining <laughs> shock. It was, um, I think one of the toughest races I've ever run. Um, it was myself, Sabrina Wilkie, and Amory Madden were the three women on the team, and uh, we went. Yeah, we went down there from sea level. Um, we went down two days before, I think, and uh, it was thirty-four degrees on the start line. Um, yep. The thing with the Boulder Boulder, which is so great, is they run the mass race first. So um, the mass is run like forty thousand people run, end up in the stadium, and they're all waiting in there for the elite race, which is, you know, three, three people per country running together in the women's race. Um, and us Canadians were just at the back of the pack. <laughs> so uh, it was probably, I mean, Rich had said, he's like, it's going to be, you're going to think you're fit and you're going to start and within a kilometer. It's just going to feel yeah. awful. Like, you know, Rich, he just tells it as it is. Yeah. And uh I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. And literally within the first kilometer, I was like, oh my God, this is awful. Like sucking wind, um, so hot, couldn't cool down. And it's a net uphill. So you're, you're basically running uphill. I had the kind of bike escort beside me because I was at the back and he was worried about me. He's like, do you need water? Am I going to have to pour water on your head? Are you going to make it? Um, yeah, it was a tough experience. But I will say... Um, running into that stadium was a highlight because you run in and the crowds just erupt. Like you're up on this huge screen and this, there's a stadium full of 40,000 people just waiting for you to come in. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I, I went to school in Colorado, uh, right down the road in Fort Collins. So well, oh, I would okay, always, cool. I would always go and we would always watch, right. And yeah, and you go to Folsom field and you sit yeah. around and then you watch the and then you watch the uh the pro race and it is it's it's the boulder boulder is like in terms of like size it's it's similar to sun run but atmosphere yeah. i think it's better than the sun run atmosphere wise uh just because that yeah. element of that stadium finish is pretty dang special i've run the boulder boulder myself and i did it after same thing as you living down at sea level for 10 years and then going up there and it being hot and awful <laughs> And, but then you run in the finish and you're like, this is actually pretty dang cool. And you feel pretty fortunate to be there. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Um, and again, like getting to where, even though it's a small team, like getting to where the team Canada singlet, I think that was the first time I sort of thought, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Like I would love to do this, you know, again, like I'd love to have that experience yep. again. Um, so that kind of piqued my interest. So yeah, when I was down there, I talked with Rich and at that point, he was kind of like, well, you can come out to practices. Um, anyone who knows Rich knows that he, he really needs to feel out who he's going to coach. And if you're a good fit for him, which I think is really important, like your fit between you as an athlete and your coach. So I really mm -hmm. respect that he um, really looks into that to make sure that you are a good fit with the group and with him. Um, so I kind of just dropped in on workouts and uh, did that for a while. and then one day he was like, you know what, I think you're a marathoner and I'd like to coach you to a marathon. And, 
that was kind of where the marathon came into my life as a competitive, uh, competitive race, I guess. Okay, so you're now working with Rich, which is a great choice because everyone who knows Rich knows he's an awesome coach. Um, and you're going to start targeting the marathon. So obviously, you're yes. going to target the marathon. It's going to it's going to involve obviously just more commitment time wise. Uh, but you also are the mother of a couple small children. So how yes. do, how do you how do you how do you kind of find that balance between working your butt off as a marathoner and also being a mother? What yeah, kind of adjustments hard- do you have to make? Obviously, and yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, um, you don't always have the flexibility of the recovery time. So um, everyone knows that when you're training for a marathon, you need to really value the recovery time to make sure that you are fueling properly, getting your sleep, um, getting the rest you need. And, and unfortunately, that's usually the first to go if you have to sacrifice something. Um, So I wasn't always able to get that. but I will say Rich was great. Like we had very commu- open communication through it. And a lot of, you know, he's, he gets, obviously gets the recovery and he's also a parent of two girls, even though they're older. So he knew, he understood where I was in life. So we were able to kind of develop a program that would work for me, which meant um, maybe I would be doing less workouts with more space in between them. So making sure that I was recovered. So I always had two days between my hard efforts. Um, so we kind of moved to more of a two week cycle as opposed to working on a seven day cycle so that I could always have at least two days to recover. Nice. I love that. I love that the importance of individualization in people's circumstances with running, right? Because yes. so many times you can look at like a cookie cutter program, but it doesn't take into account all these other things that may be going on in life. Right. So what does your training look like and what elements does Rich introduce that take you to continue to progress as a runner, um, especially as a marathoner? Um, you know, you did your first marathon off of uh, running room 60 kilometers yeah. a week, and now you're dealing with one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, what were some of the key elements that took you to the next level? Um, I guess. Uh, I did increase mileage, a lot more mileage. So um, we were kind of peaking at 100 miles. um, And it didn't always look like that on the seven day cycle, but you could take seven days kind of around, uh, around there, and I'd have a 100 mile week in there. Um, I would say I was averaging like, high 80s, low 90s for most weeks of my mileage for the first build. Um, We did a lot of targeted marathon pace workouts. as well as a lot of uh, faster workouts. It was interesting while I was training for the marathon, I actually ran my fastest 10 K and I wasn't doing 10 K training, but um, I ran faster than I ever had in the 10 K in that build. So um, it does show that even if you're not doing the specific speed that you can still keep your speed with the marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the takeaways I had was that you don't always have to be running, you know, full on out to get that benefit. You can get it from a lot of these uh, more threshold type runs and tempo road runs, which I really enjoy. Um, I love the long runs. I don't know why. I just love being out there and uh, going for a long time and pushing myself. And, and it's rare that I would have a long run that was just a long run. Most of my long runs involved some kind of marathon effort in them. So 
um, yeah, it was a progression. We, we kind of built up to that mileage. Um, and, uh, our target was to, at the time to get the Pan Am standard, which we had thought was 240. Um, Richard thought I had a good shot of making the Pan Am marathon team for 2015. So that was our goal going into the marathons. And what, what marathon did you target to hit that goal? Um, so we chose Houston, uh, with it being a January race. Um, we figured that would give lots of recovery time before Pan Am's if I was to hit the standard, um, and get me into the team. Um, so yeah, I went into Houston that January of, uh, 2015, very fit. Uh, we thought I was going to run somewhere around 235, 236 pace, um, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> First competitive marathon. Um, I went out pretty conservatively, but I had stomach issues for the entire race. I think I stopped at least seven times. It was oh, not God. a pleasant experience. Yeah. It, I don't know if it was something I ate or what happened, but um, yeah. So, however, I did finish. I ran 244, um, which I was... I was still really happy with that was a huge PB. I think I, my PB before that was like 325 or something. So, <laughs> um, just from like running for fun. Yeah. So h- huge PB, but huge disappointment that I hadn't hit the standard cause I'd felt yeah. really prepared. And I think that's just the nature of the marathon is, uh, everything kind of has to fall into place on the day. And if something doesn't, um, it can, it makes a huge difference to your time. And for me, it was stomach issues. So, Um, I had, you know, my takeaway from that is I really need to work on my fueling and figuring out what's going to work for me going forward, because that obviously the strategy we had didn't work for me. So, yeah. And so after you have that performance, obviously, yes, it's, it's good. There's silver linings to it, but ultimately it's, it's a disappointment. Uh, what is your process for dealing with a bad race and continuing to move forward? Do you give yourself a little bit of time to dwell on it? Like, um, mentally, what are the tools you use to, to continue on pushing and striving and, and maintaining focus on the next? Uh, I think um, specifically in that case, I gave myself time to, uh, you know, a couple of days to just sort of feel sorry for myself and <laughs> feel like, oh, you did all that training and didn't come out to what you wanted to do. Um, but by nature, I'm not someone who dwells on that. So Uh, I started to talk to Rich within two days. I'm sure we were like forging another plan forward of, um, okay, how else can we tackle this? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's not over yet. Um, And so we set our sights on Eugene, which was, I think, in the May, in May. So about four months later. So uh, yeah, focused on some recovery for a little while and then basically jumped right back into a build um, with the target of Eugene. And as Richard said to me, and I think, I think this was really good advice after he's like, you need to look at the positives that come out of it. Um, there's a lot of learning that comes out of it, but you need to look at what you did well and what you maybe need to improve on. Um, but not, you know, I won the master's race, so I'd won some good money. Um, and he's like, you need to look at that progress. Like look at not many people get to go out and actually win a master's race at a, a huge marathon. And, um, you know, you need to celebrate that. So uh, try to focus on that positive moving forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's just something that can be taken away from any athlete, right? Anytime you, yeah. anytime you manage to finish a marathon, that's an accomplishment because marathons are hard, right? So you can take the silver linings, enjoy what you've done, and then be like, okay, what can I do better next time? And you identified that you had a lot of stomach problems, which is awful to deal with in a marathon. It's so yeah. stressful. And, and it's, it's annoying because it's one of those things that's like, it's like, if this weren't here, things would be so much different. And it's one of those things that's, that's on the day, it just happens and it sucks. Um, so yeah. did you try to identify the reasons why that happened and how you could, you know, remedy them moving forward? Yeah, I um, had some conversations with Trent Stellingworth, um, trying to figure out what was going on. So he had some advice of what to kind of switch around in my diet um, and to basically switch some of the fueling I was using. So I was using gels. So he was suggesting uh, moving away from gels and trying more of like a liquid carb mix. Um, so I did that, which seemed to help. Um, and also he said it could, he made the point, it could just be things like you're drinking different water. There's different mineral content there. Um, yeah. He's like, you make sure you're drinking bottled water. Like I had no idea. I was down there drinking the tap water, like <laughs> yeah. thinking, yeah, you know, I just didn't really realize because it was my first experience at one of these competitive events. Um, I'd never gone to an event where, you know, they're feeding you the food beforehand and you're kind of you know, you're in a room where there's lots of great snacks as well. Um, mm -hmm. You're kind of changing mm -hmm. your changing a little bit of how you're eating normally at home. So um, it was yeah, it was a big learning curve. I think traveling for a race is very different, right? And especially when it's a marathon, it's even more different. Like I think with a 10k or half, um, you can kind of get away with a few little changes, but it, you can't with the marathon, you have to really practice um, doing the same things all the way through. Absolutely. Establishing that rhythm and that routine and trying to stay to it. Yeah. yeah. It, it's funny. Every time, I think every single time I talk to a high level athlete in Canada, Trent Stillingworth's name will come up at some point. He's yeah. Such, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's such a brilliant resource. And, and, and like the, the advice he gave to you is like what he used to give me when I worked with him is like, you know, the water, like every water has different kind of elements to it. Right. And if you're used to certain water and even there's a slight change that can totally mess things up. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's vital, high performance, high performance, um, you know, advice and travel is a huge one, right? It's how you deal with travel. Fortunately, Houston's in a similar time zone. Um, but you know, it's, it's still, it's still going to affect, you know, the process of traveling is very tiresome. Um, yeah. so you reload from that, you take those lessons and you move towards Eugene, Eugene's at the end of May. Um, yes. tell us that race, how that race, how that race end up going for you? Here's, here's, uh, elite <laughs> number two at the marathon. Yeah. Elite attempt number two, still trying to get that sub two forty. Um, so yeah, that race was interesting. Um, I didn't really know too many people who'd run it, but I went down and it, they do a phenomenal job with their elites. It's not a huge race, but, um, I think it's Ian Dobson. He was running yep. the elite field at that point. Yep. Um, you get to like start out at Hayward field, which, you know, for any kind of track fan, is a pretty big deal. Um, they have like a room under there where you get to store your stuff and warm up. Um, they take really good care of you there. Uh, so yeah, I got, I got on the start line there, um, started running and, uh, had kind of a group around me, which was great. I was really excited by that because I wasn't sure how that was going to pan out. They don't have pacers or, mm -hmm. um, group set up in advance there. 
Uh, and the, the hard thing in that race for me was that nine miles you split from the half marathoners. So they went left, we went right. And I didn't realize that all the people I was running with in my group were actually running the half marathon. So suddenly oh, I was, <laughs> I was in no man's land. And um, for anyone who's run Eugene, it's a beautiful course, but it's, it's kind of a little bit like running seawall. Uh, the last is all over bank um, where you're kind of on this meandering pathway and it's very lonely. <laughs> there's, there's no one else out there. And I think around halfway, just after halfway, I'd pass the girl who was in first. So nice. I knew I was the first woman. Um, but I was running, I was just running solo. There was no one around me. And, um, I found that really challenging, even though I'd practiced that, mm-hmm. um, in all my runs training, I'd run a lot of them solo, uh, racing solo for the second half of a marathon was very challenging. Um, so, uh, I think there, and also there wasn't a lot of community support out cause it's not a huge race. So yeah. you didn't have a lot of people out cheering on that section of the course. Um, I did have the amazing experience of winning that race. Uh, so I won it um, both as a master and, and the open race, um, which was pretty cool. And it was on Mother's Day. So <laughs> triple a, whammy. <laughs> yeah, it was a triple whammy. Um, but I didn't hit that 240 standard. I ran 242. Okay. Um, which again, it was another one of those bittersweets, like another, another huge PB, like three minutes at that level or two minutes, I guess, at that level is, you know, you make, that's huge for me. You work hard for those um, two minutes. Yeah. You work hard for those two minutes. But again, I hadn't hit that standard, which my ultimate goal was to make the Pan Am team. Um, so I thought that journey was over um, mm-hmm. and kind of had to mourn that loss. Like, I'm not going to make the team. I'm, I'm out. Um, yeah. So again, Rich again was like, how many people get to break a tape in a marathon? Like that's huge. You want it overall. Um, you need to really focus on that. So I did, but I was, I was mourning the loss of that overall goal of making team Canada again. Cause I think once it had been put in front of me, I really wanted it. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of things here, what mental tricks do you, you said, you know, you mentioned how it was super hard to run solo and keep pushing as the marathon yes. goes in. What's going through your head to keep you pushing and keep you going when all you want to do is the opposite of that? Um, one, the time goal of making uh, the Pan Am team, I, it was still in my grasp, I think for quite probably until like 35, 36 K when, when it was really getting challenging. Um, another thing I do is I count, <laughs> I count in my head. So, um, I'm always like, you can always get through another minute. So I will count very slowly to 60 and then I will do that again and again and again. And it's something I do in training. Um, just practicing that, uh, and it works for me. Like, it's just this constant, I'm at 60 seconds, start again, another 60 seconds. Um, it just breaks it down into small manageable tasks, which I can accomplish. Yeah. So that's how, that's how I look at it. Um, I don't look too far ahead. I just kind of focus on that minute I'm in. Yeah. I, I and I love that. I love because everyone's a little bit different, but the overall theme is breaking it down. Right. Yes. It's going to be so hard when you're at 30 K and you're like, Oh my gosh, I have another 12 K. It's like, that's going to, that's going to break your brain. Whereas you're like, okay, let's get to 32 K. Let's get to yeah. the, and, and this and just being in control and, and making it and 
and kind of making it into manageable sections. And before, and now I shouldn't say before you know it, because it does take a long time, but eventually, yeah. <laughs> eventually you get to that, you get to that finish line and you finish and you feel great and you feel uplifted. But then also, you know, you win the race, which is fantastic. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you don't get that huge shining goal. Um, so where, yeah, how, where do you go from there? Obviously you're improving, you're continuing to improve, you're continuing to do well. Uh, how do you yeah. reframe, reframe the goals from there? Um, so I came home and Rich and I sat down and we decided I'd take a pretty big break because um, I'd done two marathons kind of in a four yeah. month window, which was pretty big. So um, I was partway through my break when I got a call from Athletics Canada um, offering me a spot on the Pan Am team, which I was Bonus. like, what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I hadn't run standard as far as I knew. And they said, actually, we didn't have a standard of 240. That was kind of an arbitrary number. I think the Pan Am standard was 250 mm-hmm. from Pan Am themselves. And, and I guess Canada decided because it was at home, yeah. I, it wasn't as big a deal for people to meet that time standard. I'd met the Pan Am standard. So um, they offered me a spot on the team, which was like, whoa, I've just taken like three weeks off running and the race is in July. So I think I had five or six weeks to rebuild, get prepared. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this would have been nice to know a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and it was going to be my third marathon within seven months. Yeah, yeah. I would not advise many people to do, um, but obviously that was an opportunity I wasn't going to pass up. Um, so yeah, I got to, uh, well, with you, you're on the team too. Yeah, that was such uh, a fun, that was a fun event. That was honestly uh, the most fun I've ever had with running. Like that was just um, kind of the, the cherry on the top of the cake. <laughs> so, yeah, because it, it was, it it was, was a game team and the whole village and everything. And, yeah. Uh, I, the, the marathon course was not my favorite. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> And the weather. Um, yeah. So I ran, I was the first day at the athletics competition. And I think we had the hottest day um, of everyone. It was, it was ridiculous. Like, I can't remember the exact temperature, but with humidity, it was like 32 or something. Um, and yeah, that and going up that hill four times in High Park, that massive hill. Uh, not ideal, but at the same time, there were so many people out cheering. Like it was just, yeah. uh, what a phenomenal experience. Like my family was there. Um, my kids were there to watch. Um, I had like some of my good friends there, uh, watching Richard was able to be there, uh, my coach. So I think, um, my takeaways from that were just like, what a mind blowing experience mm-hmm. you know, to compete for your country in your country. Like yeah. where everyone's cheering for you and so excited for you. And um, Richard said to me beforehand, like, it's not going to go out fast. It's too hot. Um, you just need to run within yourself. Don't worry if the pack goes, that's okay. You know, run your own race. It's going to be a race of attrition. And it really was like people just dropped off left, right and center. And um, I was able to kind of, it really was a grind, but I was able to finish and, uh, came eighth and was super excited like just felt like death when I finished but was the first time of those three marathons where I also felt like so much joy um, at the experience nice nice so that yeah. was the, the, the 
the, you know, you, you finish and you have that satisfaction uh, and it was a grinder of a race and you yeah. finished eighth, but the woman who won ended up being popped for EPO later on. Yes, so. she did. Um, which was like, oh, such a, it's such a disappointment, right? Anytime you hear of someone um, cheating mm-hmm. to reach their to reach that level just it, it's so sad um especially for someone like rachel hannah who's a good friend of mine and then for her to come forth in that race uh yeah. and miss that experience of getting her medal in front of the home crowd um that's you know that's really taking a huge piece of something that would have been huge for her away yeah it's, you know? it's i hate dopers I absolutely hate them. They ruin, they, Me ruin too. The, they ruin the integrity of the sport and they take, they can take the joy out from other athletes. Like you were just saying, right? Yeah. And she's, she's like, she was banned for a very short time because she was back out at like world half, maybe a year later. It was just brutal. So yeah, she's still competing, which is really sad. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, you have that super positive experience at Pan Am's, which is fantastic. And that was, um that was back in 2015 so yeah. you you carry on with your running obviously you're, you're still in Vancouver but during this time you also start doing some coaching let's talk about yes. let's talk about Catherine yeah. the coach um okay. how you've developed your philosophy and just your experiences with that and where it started and, and where you're at so I guess um Dylan had asked me uh back in the spring last year, I was training for Rotterdam at the time. And um, he'd asked me if I'd be interested in coaching. And I kind of thought about it, but I wasn't sure, you know, you kind of have, I had a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Like, do I know enough? Do I know what I'm doing? Like, um, am I able to, to work with these people in the way that they need? Um, Cause I take it very seriously. Like if I'm going to coach someone, I want to make sure that I'm you know, able to meet their needs and, and give them not only a good program, but I think um, my philosophy is you're coaching the person. So yeah. you're coaching them as a parent, uh, a majority of my athletes are parents um, or coaching them as a mass runner or uh, coaching them people who are balancing work uh, and family at the same time. So uh, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to fit into that. Um, but Dylan offered me a couple of uh, clients just to try with who were fake clients, I guess, not real people. Um, <laughs> and uh, through mentoring with Dylan, I was like, yeah, I love this. Um, and so, yeah, I started with Miles Marathon uh, last spring and I'm really enjoying the process. I've met some incredible uh, women who I coach along the way. I'm always in awe of what they are balancing in their lives. A lot of them are moms working full time and training, you know, training hard. Yeah. So um, it's inspiring to me, actually. I'm I've got as much out of it as um, as if I feel like almost like I'm getting more out of it as a coach than I was as an athlete. Yeah, I, I agree. Like working with the athletes and just seeing what they do and how hard they work. It, it uplifts me as my own athlete. And we you know when I'm sitting around, I don't want to go for a run or something. I'm like, I just look at a training log. I'm like, these people are getting out. I surely can get out because they are generally much busier than I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's been great having you on the squad and clearly you're a good coach based on the results of your athletes and, and you know, obviously the relationship you have with your athletes. So it's been great having you on the squad. 
Um, so where, where, where are you at right now with your own running? Um, and, and what are your goals and, and where, where are you going to take it? Uh, yeah, it's, so I, it's, fu it's funny you ask that because I still have this goal. Well, Boston, I'd really like yeah. to run Boston as an elite. Um, and I really want to break that 240. It's really funny that I don't know why that number for me is a big one. Um, but I ran Berlin, I guess a year and a half ago, 2018, I ran Berlin and I ran 240 11. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like 11 seconds off. And I, I broke the Canadian record for like women over 45. Yeah. So yeah. So happy by that. But I'm like 11 seconds. So I think that that's still in the back of my mind. Um, and I honestly, do, I mean, it, I'm not saying age isn't a factor because it is like, I'm not getting any younger. I'm closer to 50 now. And it, it definitely, that's something, um, I do notice in my body, it's a lot harder yeah. to get to these things, but I also believe that, um, you can achieve anything you put your mind to, you know, that's uh, reasonable. So I don't think this is an unreasonable goal. I think it's something that's in my wheelhouse. I just have to 12 seconds. train smartly. Yeah, it's 12 seconds. So <laughs> um, yeah, I'd really like that to happen. So that's kind of where I'm focusing going forward. Um, with no races on the horizon right now, it's kind of, in a way, it's been a blessing because I'm just building a base. So I'm enjoying getting out and just running. Um, enjoying some long runs, doing a couple of workouts a week, but nothing crazy, nothing um, too quick. Uh, I recognize also that because I'm not getting treatment right now, I have to be a little bit more cautious with where I push. So I'm, um, yeah, just in trying to enjoy the process, which, uh, yeah, I feel very lucky that we live where we do and we can get out and, and still run during this um, kind of crazy time. Oh, tell me about it. I see, I see you often out there on Jericho yeah. and, it's you got to pick the time of day because sometimes it can yeah. be it can be a bit busy but yeah being able to get out there and and continue to work out has been great and just yeah framing it in that mindset it's like we don't have treatment right now right and we don't have the things that we need to kind of help elevate our performance that much more so being smart about it um so are you on some sort of structure right now or or is it kind of more free-flowing um with with your training um, I'm on some structure. I'm on different structure than the rest of the group who are doing uh, a little bit more than I am. But oh, those guys, uh, are, those the other, the rest of the group is just killing it right now. I look at their stuff. Yeah. Like, what, is, <laughs> what is going on? Is there some sort of secret underground track league going on? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I said to Rich at the start of this, I was like, uh, I recognize that I'm not as young as them. And, uh, I don't want to be doing anything that's going to yep. put me at risk for injury at this point, because, um, I'm someone who gets regular treatment. Just, I recognize that's a really important part of my training. So, um, yeah, I'm on a structured program. Uh, it's just sort of a seven day thing at the moment where I'm running Tuesdays. I'm running a, a pretty simple progression run Fridays. I'm doing intervals, but nothing faster than 10 K pace. And then the Sunday long run. So, and it's all by feel. So it's nothing, nice. um, nothing crazy. And right now my 10 K pace is about what my marathon pace typically would be. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's good. I'm enjoying it. It's kind of nice to just, I like to have some structure to my running. It gives me um, yep. something to look forward to. So I enjoy that. Absolutely. Having manageable goals. And I feel it's, it's such an important takeaway to be able to identify 
what you as an athlete needs, right? Because sometimes yes. we can always look at what other people are doing and kind of get caught up on what other people are doing. And when you, when you take that, oh, and, and when, you, when you follow that, oftentimes it's, it's not going to be beneficial, right? Knowing yourself as an athlete and trusting yourself as an athlete and having that relationship with your coach where you're both on the same page is so, so important because like you say right now, your 10K pace is your marathon pace, but you also know in six weeks from now, it'll, you know, it'll, that's how training works. You get better and you get better and you get better. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's a progression. And that communication is key. And that's, I think that's one of the things I really stress with my athletes is like, write down as much as you can about how you're feeling or message me or, or just let me know because um, it's very hard to tell just from someone's splits. Yeah. Like, you can hit your splits, but it could feel absolutely awful and you've overdone it. Um, yep. Just depending on how you're feeling that day. I mean, life, life stress uh, for everybody, especially right now is uh, kind of at a peak. And so just recognizing that and being able to pull back and, uh, and let people know when you're feeling like that so that they don't push you too hard is really important. Absolutely. I think that's some fantastic advice. And I think that's probably a great place to kind of wrap this up um thank you so much for taking time to to join us today um how can how can people follow you are you on strava are you on instagram how can we keep up with the, the goings-ons of katherine watkins <laughs> um i am on instagram and twitter um at kath l watkins is my handle um not on strava well i do have an account but i don't use it so I'm not really active on there <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like my competitive nature might take over a bit and I just don't want to put anything else out there. <laughs> it can be dangerous. It can be very, yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. I feel like that's why those young guys are just doing the crazy stuff right now. They're trying to get all the kudos. So. Yeah. Trying to get all those segments and I don't want to <laughs> fall into that. <laughs> so I'm just trying to be smart and do my own thing. So it's good. Good for you. Good for you. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time. And look yeah, forward thanks, to following Rob. along. I just want you to yeah, go out there and run that 239 something something, right? Yes, it's going to happen. Hopefully, I'm guessing probably next year at the way things are going right now. So yeah, um, yeah well, I'm okay with that. Gives me more time. We'll be racing eventually. And yes, when, we will. And when it is, we'll be ready. Yes, exactly. Wicked. All right, Catherine, thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. <laughs>